Amen. Please have a seat. Take out your Bibles, please, and open them up to the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, forgot it, or you don't own a Bible, please grab a Bible from under a seat close by in front of you. Uh, And if you don't own a Bible, please take that one home with you when we are done today. Mark, chapter 5. I'm going to talk about a story maybe many of you are familiar with, most of you probably. Most of us are familiar with the story directly preceding this one. Uh, Jesus standing with his disciples on the Capernaum side of the Sea of Galilee, and he says to them, let us go over to the other side. Let's go over to the, to the other side, a couple miles across the lake. And, and so they all pile in the boat, and they start heading out, and, and they get somewhere around the middle, and a huge storm breaks out, and waves are crashing over, and the wind, and everything's going crazy, and the disciples start panicking, and Jesus is sleeping in the boat. Jesus not worried. Jesus, Jesus not panicking, but the disciples are, and you know the story. They wake him up, and he calms the storm. And then we come to verse 1 of Mark 5. It says, they came to the other side of the sea. Huh. Just like Jesus said. Just like he said. He said, guys, we're going to go to the other side. So was there any doubt that they were going to make it? Of course not. But the storm and all of the stuff that was going on, the chaos, they took their focus off of Jesus and the promise that he made and the statement that he said, and they started focusing on that. And guys, when Jesus said something, it's going to happen. Jesus says something's going to happen. We can count on it absolutely. And Jesus said that he's going to prepare a place for us, and he's going to come back again. And he is going to take all of us who believe in him and have trusted in him for our salvation there to be with him for eternity. That is an absolute certainty. We're going to make it there. Regardless of the storms that we face, regardless of the chaos that we can look around and see, we need to look to Jesus and hang on to his promises knowing that we will make it there. Well, that's what, that's what literally worked out here. And we pick up our story there now as to what happened when they get to the other side. They came to the other side of the sea, verse 1, into the country of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him, and he had his dwelling among the tombs. He was actually living there among the the tombs and the caskets and all the dead bodies. And no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken into pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly. Night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Imagine the scene. (laughs) They came out of a one storm, they land on the beach, and here's another one. This guy, this maniac, this crazy man running around terrorizing everyone, cutting himself with stones, probably foaming at the mouth, just, just an absolute lunatic, but he's possessed by an evil spirit. And we're going to find out it's more than one. Luke's gospel tells us that he's running around naked. Again, terrorizing the entire area. And I 
I stop at that because here we see the end result, but it had to be a process for him to get here. He didn't wake up one day like this, and he certainly didn't set out as a child saying, man, when I grow up, I hope I'm a naked lunatic running around in the cemetery. It wasn't a goal, and it wasn't, it wasn't an overnight thing. It's a process. And all of the time, when you see someone totally lost and sold out to sin in their life, again, it wasn't something that happened immediately. It's a process to get there. And again, we need to understand that this is brought about, as we, as we see in verse 2, an unclean spirit was filling this man. We need to understand that we are all in a battle. And it's not a, a, a battle against flesh and blood, as Ephesians tells us, but it's against demonic spirits. There is a very real evil spiritual world out there that is coming against us. Their, their sole desire is to destroy us. And we need to know that this is very real and it is not a game. There are many that, that play around with the occult and witchcraft and sin and all of this type of stuff, not realizing how dangerous it is. But we need to understand, even as believers that we need to always be on our guard. We cannot allow anything in. It's late at night. Who could be knocking? Is it evil? Is it the enemy that is out there stalking? I asked who's there praying they leave in a hurry. My name's indiscretion. You don't need to worry. Should I pick up a weapon or sound an alarm? But he said he was harmless and he meant me no harm. I'll look out the window, just take a peek. That's not so bad. It's not a sign that I'm weak. I'll just take a look, though I know it's not right. He looks pretty harmless, like an angel of light. I opened the door. It's just one little sin, but before I knew it, all hell came in. Guys, we can't, we can't give the enemy an inch. We need to have our armor on completely, because though we see what happened here to this man, again, it is a process to get here. And the process took this man to a point where he was completely hopeless. Save Jesus. <laughs> completely hopeless from any human institution. Everything that was tried failed miserably. But now he has an encounter with the Lord Jesus. And 1 John 3, 8 tells us that the Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. All that the devil had done and all of the, the demons had done here, Jesus came to destroy those works. And we can read a verse like that and we can say, yes, as, as a whole, that's what he came to do. But understand that it's a very personal thing. One of the things that I love about this story, and I don't want to ruin the end for you, but one of the things I love about this story is Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee for this one man. He heals this man, and he gets back in the boat and leaves. <laughs> all, the, all for one man. And so often we can look at the work of God and the work of Jesus, the salvation, save now is this big thing. It's a personal thing. <laughs> he stepped out of heaven for you, to, to save you. Well, back to our... Our story. Jesus now gets out of the boat with his disciples. Verse 6, seeing Jesus from a distance, 
he ran up and bowed down before him. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. This man demon-possessed, sees Jesus now getting out of the boat, and he runs to him, falls down before him, and pleads with him. Please understand some very important things about what we just read. First of all, it's not enough to know who Jesus is. This demon-possessed man, these demons in this man, knew exactly who he was. He came running up, Jesus, son of the most high God. They knew exactly who he was. That's not enough. And it's not enough to fear Jesus. They were shaken in their red little boots. <laughs> they, were, they were terrified of Jesus. It tells us, it tells us, here they were imploring, do not torment me. Luke's gospel, again, gives us a little bit more insight as to specifically what they were saying. Do not torment me meant that do not send us to the abyss. Do not cast us into hell. They knew exactly the power that Jesus had, that just to speak the word and they would be cast into hell. They know they're going eventually, but they said, not now, please. It's not enough to know him. It's not enough to fear him. It's not enough to even simply pray to him. They're praying. They're praying, please don't, please don't send us to the abyss. Religion is built around those things, knowing intellectually who Jesus is, even fearing Jesus, who he is, and saying prayers to Jesus. But religion can't save us. It is a personal surrendering of our lives to Jesus accepting his completed work on the cross and making him Lord and King of our lives. That is what saves us. Verse 9 says, And he was asking him, Jesus now speaking to the man, but specifically speaking to the demon within the man, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. That word legion means a, a battalion of up to 6,000 soldiers. So imagine the numerous demons within this man. Verse 10, and he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. The, the demon being one particular voice that is speaking, but numerous demons within this man. And in this we see that the, the demons are united. They are united in purpose to destroy this man. And the Bible tells us that, that, that their mission is to seek, kill, and destroy. That is what they do, and they are united in that purpose. They are unanimous in their efforts to destroy this man. They're not quarreling about it. They're not fighting about it. They are speaking in one voice even to Jesus. And we face as a church today, as the body of Christ, we face many organizations led by these same demonic spirits that are united in the purpose of destroying the church, of destroying God's people. United in purpose. And I say all of that to say, how sad is it that the body of Christ can be so divided? 
the enemies of the body of Christ are united, yet we can be so divided, fighting about such petty little things, when their mission is to destroy and our mission is a mission of reconciliation. We have been called to bring things back together. We have been called to take the lost and bring them to the Lord so that, can, that reconciliation can happen. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. How much more so with all Christians? Let me, uh, let me let you in on something. Anytime that you're going to step out and do something bold for the Lord, anytime that, that you feel a calling to be used by God and you answer that calling, be ready for the enemy to come against you. Be ready for the attacks to come. Don't be taken by surprise when something goes on. And I say that because this week, as I mentioned, God wants to use all of us in a special way this week. I believe that. And if you are willing to step out and, and be used by God this week, be ready that the enemy is going to come after you. And by the way, your enemy is not your spouse. <laughs> not your children. Not one another. But be ready. Be ready for that. When something comes up that bugs you about somebody else, realize that's the enemy trying to do this. And you just say, no way, uh-uh. Be ready. Be, let's be united in this effort this week and always. So verse 11. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him saying, send us into the swine that we may enter them. And Jesus gave them permission. Understand that the powers that we face, the demonic forces are powerful. There is no doubt about that. Standing in our own efforts, fighting these demonic forces on our own, we stand no chance, no chance. But our Lord has infinite power. So much so that, again, they're begging him, begging him, Lord, send us into the pigs. Do you realize that they can't even enter a herd of pigs without his permission? <laughs> he is absolutely sovereign and in control. Greater is he that, it is, that is in us than he that is in the world. And again, it's not a close contest. They have to get his permission to go into the pigs, and he gives them that permission. And I find such comfort in that, because if they have to get permission to go into pigs, we can stand firmly on the promise of God's word that says no temptation will overcome us except what is common to man. And with every temptation, we will be given the strength, the way through it, and the power of the Holy Spirit that is within us. He will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able. We, we see some biblical illustrations of this, many, a couple. Job, for one, righteous man, a godly man, serving the Lord, loving God. God totally blessing Job. And Satan said, well, of course he's going to worship. Look at how you've blessed him. Of course he's going to be a good guy. Let me at him for a while. And God gave him permission. But with very specific parameters around what he could do and what he could not do. Peter, 
when Jesus, speaking to Peter, said, Peter, Satan has demanded, not requested, demanded to sift you like wheat. But it's not that, though, it's that God had no choice in the matter. God could have clearly said, no way. But he did allow Satan to sift Peter like wheat, to put him through a test that, that any of us would praise the Lord we've never had to face. But Jesus said, I'm praying for you, Peter. And when you turn, strengthen your brothers. When you come back, after you have gone through this process, strengthen your brothers. And again, I take great comfort in this because I know, because Jesus said, when you come back, that means, Peter, you're not gonna, this test will not be greater than you with the power of me with you. You will come back. And the demons still need permission before they come after us. God knowing what, what we can and what we can't help. And Hebrews tells us that he lives to make intercession for us. So the same is true with us. And here in this situation, back to our story, they asked permission to enter the pigs. Jesus gave them the permission. In verse 13, it says, And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank and into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. Again now, imagine this situation. Here we have Jesus, the disciples, this man, and a whole herd of pigs on the hillside. And it's one of my favorite stops to go to visiting the Holy Land. You can actually stand in the place. There's places where ancient tombs were, and there's this hill that runs right down the slope and then drops off a cliff right into the Sea of Galilee. You can stand right in the area where it happened. And I, I go back to that in my mind all the time. Thinking, man, can you imagine the the, the chaos of 2,000 pigs, 2,000, all of a sudden being filled with demons, squealing, going like crazy, and imagine the cast there, and then whoosh, right down the hill, right off into the Sea of Galilee, drowning there. Now, there's a theological term for what is being described here, and it's sweet side. All right. 2,000 pigs, dead, floating in the Sea of Galilee. Now, all of you animal rights people and PETA members, no emails. It's just what it says right here. Verse 14. Their herdsmen, those that were charged with taking care of these pigs, they ran away and reported it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind, the very man who had the legion, and they became frightened. I love every aspect, just reading every couple of verses in this, I love this because here we see this man who we have, have described, we have pictured in our mind, and I'm quite sure that even the pictures we have in our mind don't describe it completely, how out of his mind this man was, and how he totally was terrorizing everywhere. They couldn't, he was, they put chains on him and he would break them. They couldn't, nothing could contain him. And now, after this encounter with Jesus, he's sitting there, calm, in his right mind, it says, normal. 
And this so blesses me because here we see a picture of the most disgusting human we could probably come up with in our minds, so filled with sin, yet one encounter with Jesus, and this man is clean. And that gives me great hope, and it should give you great hope of all of those that you know, friends and family, that are hopelessly lost in sin, and they are save an encounter with Jesus. Don't ever give up. No one is outside of the touch of Jesus. And I would believe that in a group this this large here this morning, there is at least one, if not a few, people here today who are saying, I hear that and I've heard it before, but you have no idea the sin in my life. You have no idea what my past includes. There's no way that God could love me. There's no way that I could be forgiven of of my sin. And I'm here to tell you that's a lie from the pit of hell. And Jesus wants to meet you right here today as he met that man on the beach and take care of that entire situation for you. Erase your sin because he's taken it already. He's taken it upon himself. He has paid the penalty for your sin. And he wants you to come sit alongside him now, clothed in your right mind, completely clean, clothed in his righteousness. One encounter with him can heal you completely. He wants to give you a new life. He wants to give you an abundant life. He wants to give you eternal life, as he did for this man here. And our, ter- our text tells us that the herdsmen that were there and they witnessed what happened, they ran into town to tell people what was going on and they all came out and verse 16 says, those who had seen it, the herbs- herdsmen, described it to them that were coming out, how it happened to the demon-possessed man and about all of the swine. And they all broke out in praise, singing glory to God because we, this man has been delivered and he's not going to terrorize us anymore. And what is it, a couple of pigs, who cares? Don't you wish that was the case? Verse 17, and they began to implore him to leave their region. Again, here's the story, guys. Here's this man who has been nothing but a problem for all of these people, a huge problem. And now he's cured. And instead of singing glory to God, they look to Jesus and say, leave what would what would cause people to prefer lunatics and pigs to god almighty in their presence and we can we can look at that and say well that's crazy but let me ask the question what would cause somebody to prefer bondage to alcohol or to pornography or to worldliness, to money, to fame, to all of these other things? What would cause people to prefer that to a saving relationship with Jesus that offers them freedom from the bondage of sin? What would cause people to prefer darkness over light? Jesus said in John three nineteen, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds... We're evil. And again, maybe, maybe you are here today and, and you are 
you are struggling with one of those things. You are wrestling with a lifestyle of sin, or maybe you're not even fighting it. You're just all into it. And you're only here because you're putting on a charade about this, or you're only here because somebody invited you to come today. The Bible is clear that you can't serve two masters. You can't walk on both sides of the fence. You can't serve a life of, God, of, of godlessness and sin and serve God as well. Jesus said you'll either hate one and love the other, you will serve one and despise the other. Don't be as, as these people now who, who saw the truth, witnessed the truth, and said to leave. Don't send him away. What is, what is stopping you? Is it fear? Is it pride? Is it, is it unknown things? You, you don't know what it's going to cost ultimately? Well, let me ask the question that Jesus asked. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his own soul? Again, if, if you are here today and that is you, and you, you, you know this because the God himself is, is touching your heart, Again, it's not a, a religious thing. This is a personal encounter with Jesus that you can have right here and right now. It's simply a matter of recognizing who you are, that you are a sinner, and that you have fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone in this room shares that same thing with you. We all have. But it's not enough just to recognize that. You need to repent of that. That means to turn from your sinful lifestyle and to turn to Jesus. You can't do that in your own power. This is where the surrender begins. You give your life to him now. You turn from that, you turn to him, and you receive his free gift. You see, he's, Jesus is God himself. He stepped out of heaven became a man like us, lived a perfect sinless life, and then took that sinless life to the cross. He suffered and died in our place. He shed his blood for us to cleanse us from all of our sin, but we must receive that gift. And you need to surrender your life to him. Make him your savior, make him your Lord, your desire to live for him. He crossed the lake for this one man, and again, he stepped out of heaven for you. Don't push him away. Don't send him away. Because he honors that petition. Look, look at verse 18. It says, as he was getting into the boat, they said, go, and he was going. And the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. Here we see the third prayer that we've covered this morning in the in the. In this study, the first prayer, remember the prayer of the demons? They said, don't send us to the abyss now. Send us into the pigs. And Jesus honored that request. The second prayer, as we just mentioned, the prayer of the townspeople that said, go, leave us. And he's getting into the boat. And here's the third prayer of the man who's been healed. And he said, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to come with you. And what would you expect Jesus' reaction to be? Of course you can come with me. Of course, Peter, move over. Move over. John, John, you row for a while. This guy's had a hard life. As a matter of fact, where I was sleeping earlier, it's real comfy over there. Let him lay down for a bit. But that's not what Jesus says. Look at verse 19. It says, and he did not let him go. But he said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy 
on you. He said, no, you can't come with me. Go and tell everybody what I've done. Clearly, Jesus claiming and, and stating to be God here, if anybody says Jesus never said he was God, you show him right here. Absolutely, he did. He said, go and tell him what the Lord has done for you. And Jesus, being Lord, was the one who did this. But he says, go to your town. Go to those around and tell them what I've done. Tell them the mercy that has been shown you. Now again, remember what this guy was. <laughs> he's going to go into the towns that he's been terrorizing for who knows how long. Can you imagine a tougher audience? A, t a tougher audience to go and, and share the truth with? Can you imagine a man less prepared for ministry? Just moments before, he's running around naked on the beach. Now Jesus is saying, go. Go tell him. Jesus right here is sending out his first missionary. So let me ask you, how much training does it take to be a missionary? I mean, I can imagine the discussion that's going on amongst the disciples. It's not recorded for us, but just imagine. Hey, Jesus, you're sending out that guy? He doesn't have any training. He hasn't gone through evangelism explosion yet. <laughs> How much training does it take to be an evangelist? How much training does it take to be a missionary? How much training does it take to be the only missionary in your workplace? in your neighborhood? Apparently not very much. So what do we need? What do we need in order to be that missionary sent out by the Lord? Well, Proverbs 24, 11, and 12 says, deliver those who are being taken away to death and those who are staggering to slaughter. Oh, hold them back. If you say, see, we did not know this, does not he consider it who weighs the hearts? And does he not know it who keeps your soul? And will he not render to a man according to his work? We all know people who are being taken away to death, who are staggering to slaughter. We all know them. We all work with them. We all live next to them. Some of us may even live with them. We all know this. And we can't, we can't claim ignorance we can't claim impotence. We can't say that we didn't know or we don't know how to fix it or we don't know what to do. We can't say that. This, this verse in, in Proverbs saying, we can say this, but the one who knows our hearts knows better. We can't, we can't plead ignorance or impotence. Really, the only thing that we can point to is indifference. And we need to pray for a burden. That's what's needed first to be this, this missionary sent out is a burden for the lost. And if you don't have that, pray for it. Pray for a burden. I can imagine again this man, this man who has been <laughs> terrorizing the neighborhoods and who had been through this, fully conscious of what was going on and now understanding what had been done. He says, man, I gotta tell everybody about this. Everybody's gotta know about this. the burden that he carried. Verse 20. It, 
we, we get a, just a little snapshot of his ministry. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. Decapolis, it's an area of 10 cities that surrounds this, this area across the Sea of Galilee from Capernaum and goes up into the hill country behind there, the Decapolis, 10 cities in that area. And it says that he went from town to town telling this, proclaiming this, what, exactly what Jesus told him to do. And can you imagine the first reaction he got from people again? Knowing his past, knowing this, everybody knew who this guy was. And, and if he would have gotten into deep doctrinal issues, he would have been ridiculed. I mean, he didn't know. He wasn't prepared for that. The, the only qualification that we need, we need to have a burden, but the only qualification we need to have is to have a story to tell. The only qualification is to be touched and changed by Jesus. And we can way overcomplicate things. <laughs> I, uh, I, I think I've shared this story with you before, but it so illustrates the point. When I was 10 or 11 years old, right in that time frame, I was having a birthday coming up, and my parents let me invite a couple of friends of mine up to a cabin that we had in the mountains in Colorado, and we were going to go fishing for the weekend. Well, one friend of mine and I, we had all of the best ge fishing gear because we fished all the time and hunted and camped and everything. We were, did a lot of stuff outdoors together. So we had the, the rods and the reels and the tackle boxes full of a bunch of tackle we never used, but it really looked cool. And I mean, the whole deal, I mean, we were all set up, right? Well, my other friend had never been fishing in his life. And he came along, and I'm not kidding you, he pulls out of a Walmart bag a Snoopy fishing pole. <laughs> About that big. And so we decide that we're, we'll, we'll help him and everything, so we, but we get our stuff all together, and we get our, our stuff all set and the bait and everything, and we're casting out, man, out into the middle of the lake. You know I mean? Just we can way out there and most impressed, you know, about how far we are out there. And so we set our, our everything and we set that down there. We help him get his stuff all set. We put his little bobber on there and the worm on the hook, you know. And so he gets ready, and we show him how to do this, and he whirls back and whoop, out to about 10 feet, you know. And just out there, and the bobber didn't stop bobbing on the waves from the cast, and all of a sudden, boom, right down. I mean, almost bent the, broke the pole in half, and he's reeling this thing, the biggest rainbow trout I've ever seen taken out of that lake. <laughs> the thing was massive. So, obviously, beginner's luck. So, we put it on the stringer and put it out there, and so we get him loaded back up again and boom, flips it back out there about 10 feet again, and... Bob and Aaron, right down again. And he reels this thing in. After four or five, we finally figured it out. And so we reel ours in and we're just, bloop, you know, flipping them out there. And we caught like 20 of them. I mean, just huge things. Well, bottom line, twofold. We need to go where the fish are. And secondly, we need to use the equipment that God has given us. We so overcomplicate things. We say, well, I'll, I'll start witnessing. I'll start doing that after I go to all of the classes first. Or after I've completely memorized the New Testament or whatever. And, and then I'll start sharing. No, guys. 
Jesus sent this man out immediately after he was given the story. And he said, go tell it. Go tell it. We all, all of us in this room who have been touched by Jesus and have accepted him as our Lord and Savior, we all have a story. It might not be as extraordinary as this, guys, but we all have one. And I was listening to Caleb a, a few years back, and this just sticks with me because it, just, it was so simple, but it was so awesome. And this guy was so proud of his story that Jesus had given to him. And he called and he said, here is my testimony. I once was a hopeless drug addict. Now I'm a drugless hope addict. I love that. <laughs> I heard, that, you know, again, the blind man, how, how crazy was his story? It was simple. I was blind, now I see. That's the story. Again, we're not to complicate it. We're to just go and tell our story. And this man did, and look what it says. And everyone was amazed. Everyone was amazed. If you don't have a story, again, you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you don't have a story, he'd love to give you one today. How many of you guys remember Paul Harvey? Remember Paul Harvey? <laughs> I just love listening to Paul Harvey. I mean, he's the kind of guy, it felt like you were sitting right at the table with him, right? You know, or he's right in the car seat next to you as you're driving along listening. And the rest of the story stories, right? Well, outside of this, this story being told in, in the other Gospels, we don't ever hear of this man again. We know the name of the demons that were cast out, but we don't even know his name. We, we, he's never mentioned again in Scripture. But he was obedient. He was obedient to go and tell his story. And again, as, as my mind processes through this thing and thinking through, I can imagine as he's going back around and he's coming back around and, and oh, I got to tell you this story. And they're like, oh, man, how many times are you going to tell us that story? And it's going to be as long as people listen. As long as somebody's willing to listen, I'm going to keep telling it. And the reason that I can say that that's what happened is because what happened later you see, we don't ever hear from this guy again, but we know that Jesus came back to that region. And when he did, multitudes of people came out to see him. Because this man was obedient to just go and share his story. People wanted to know more then. People wanted to come. People would bring their sick and their lame to him when he came back to be healed. Because they saw what had happened to this guy. And still later... This Decapolis area, once they started excavating it and, and, and discovering the cities, there are ruins of large Christian churches there. This area became a Christian hub. And now you know the rest of the story. <laughs> so what's the rest of your story? It doesn't end now. What's the rest of your story? God, God didn't give us a story to keep it to ourselves or to just share with our children. God gave us a story to share to everyone in our sphere of influence. And, and we can get all caught up in the fact of, yeah, well, I've shared my story a couple of times and, and nobody, nobody received Jesus from that. Hey, you know what? Keep telling it. 
Because God doesn't call us to be successful. He calls us to be obedient. Salvation comes by the work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. And again, you don't know the impact of you telling your story until eternity. You won't know. You will probably meet somebody there that overheard you telling somebody else, and they, they accepted Jesus, and they're in heaven because you were obedient in telling your story. You never know. You just be obedient. Jesus left this region, but he sent this one man out. He's gone to heaven now to prepare a place for us. He's left us his Holy Spirit, and he has sent us out. And who knows? Who knows? Well, God knows, but who else? (laughs) What would happen if you just share your story? We have, as I said, an amazing opportunity this week. We have a great opportunity because... Again, people are more sensitive this week to spiritual things. And I believe it is because of the prayers of the saints, the prayers of those that are saying, God, move powerfully this week. Work in the hearts this week. People are, are questioning and they're willing to, to come to church this, this one time. So in addition to sharing your story, I would like to ask again, those of you who call Calvary Chapel Surprise Your Home, to do a couple of things this week. First of all, don't know if many, if you've even seen this yet, maybe if you, some of you have received this, but this has gone out, and it'll probably be hitting mailboxes tomorrow, Tuesday, in our clo- local area. It's an invitation for, for people to, to come and celebrate the resurrection of, of Jesus here at the church. But we had in, printed up a f- several extra copies of this, and if you would be willing to take a couple of these, and you can only take them if you... Follow the next instructions, okay? (laughs) Do not stick them on somebody's windshield. Don't go stick it in your neighbor's door, ring the doorbell, and run away. (laughs) Personally invite somebody to come. Personally invite somebody to come next weekend. Whether that's somebody at work or neighbor, invite somebody. We'd also like to ask that you pray. Pray throughout the week this week. Pray for, the, pray for your neighbors. Pray for your neighborhood. Pray for those you work with. Pray that God would move in a miraculous way, that revival would break out this week. Pray. Selfishly, I'd ask that you pray for me, that I would be sensitive in hearing what God would want to have said next weekend. And that I would be obedient to say as he guides and leads. Pray for our worship team. Pray for our sound ministry. Pray for the media. Pray for all of those things so that there's no distractions next week as people come to hear the gospel. And I would like to make a special request that, again, if you call Calvary Chapel Surprise Your Home, that you come out this evening at 6 o'clock and pray. That we gather together as a church, 6 o'clock. If you've never come to a prayer night and you never come again, please come tonight at 6 o'clock. We're going to pray together as a church. And, and I hope that we have to break into groups around the campus tonight to be praying for individuals and to be praying for areas and neighborhoods, to be praying for what God would do over this next week. Not only here, but throughout this community. Also, we need participation. We need volunteers to to help out with the greeting and the ushering and stuff, as I had mentioned. And there's information for you at the information table if you'd be willing to do that. Lastly, one last request, next weekend, again, whichever service you do come to and, and participate in part of, would like to ask that at the end of the service, 
When I, when I give an altar call, when I give an invitation for those to accept Jesus, that you all remain in your seats even after, as we sing the last song together, to allow those that receive Jesus as their Lord to exit and to go to the prayer rooms. We're going to have prayer counselors. We're gonna, we are preparing for harvest next weekend. And so uh, just pray that you, would, that you would stay. Because I know the tendency is to kind of feel like, okay, let's get out. Let's hurry up. I don't want to get caught in the traffic outside. Next weekend, please remain in your seats during that. So we all do that together? All right. Please bow your heads with me. And as we prepare to close our service in prayer, I would like as our hearts are now turned towards the Lord and our heads are bowed, I'd like to speak to a couple groups of you maybe here this morning. First of all, those that have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that you have trusted him with your life, but you realize that sin has come in the way that you are separated from him because of that sin. You are afar off from him. But you feel today now, you recognize that, you realize that, and you want to get that situation fixed again. You want to come back into that right relationship with him this morning. If that is you, would you raise your hand? I'd like to pray with you this morning. Anyone? Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Yes, I see. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Well, if that is you, you simply go before the Lord and in your heart and just say, Lord Jesus, I love you. And I am sorry for how I have walked away, how I have allowed sin to come in. I didn't intentionally set out to get this far away from you, but Lord, I have drifted away. But Lord, I love you and I love the fact that it's your desire that our relationship be restored to what it was. And so, Lord, I confess my sin to you. I repent and I turn back to you and I, I desire to live for you going forward again from here. Fill me with your spirit to do just that. And I would like now, too, before we close, to if there is anyone here who has never received Jesus as their Lord and says that, Today, I want to begin that new life, that abundant life. I'm tired of living a lie. I'm tired of, of living in this sin, and I want to be forgiven, and I want to know that, that I will spend eternity with, with Jesus in heaven, and I want to take care of that right now. If that is you, would you please slip your hand in the air? Saying, today is the day I want to, I want to live for Jesus going from here forward. Anyone that says, today. Don't send him away. Oh Lord, we praise you that we are all now here together as your body. Those of us who call you Lord and Savior, we thank you for saving us. We thank you for redeeming us. And Lord, our prayer is now that you would use us this week. The harvest is plentiful. And we know, Lord, that the workers are few. So here we are. Send us. Use us, Lord, for your glory. In your name. Amen. Amen. Would you all please stand now?